There we go. We're Ooh. back. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> How was your day? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> I just got back from Wicked. <laughs> I see you've got the shirt on and everything. Yes, but this is from uh, a few years ago. I didn't buy any merch today because I'm yeah. merched out. But yeah, do you go when you go see like touring productions? Do you buy merch often? I usually don't. I don't uh, either. Unless it's something that I f- really, f- I feel like I personally identify <laughs> myself and my identity with. But I mean, when it comes to like touring productions, I don't know. The merch just, it doesn't, it's not speak. It doesn't speak to me really. Right. Well, and there's no, there's no musicals anymore that like I want to own. Yeah, exactly. You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was great. Yeah. Um, it, it, although... <sighs> Wicked, like, and this might have just been like, because it's been so long since I've seen it, but like, it definitely feels like a Disney Park show. And I don't know if it's just always been that way, or, and I didn't pick up on it, or like, in recent years, it's just gotten more high tech. Mm-hmm. And they've added more tech elements to it that were not in it before that have made it feel like a Disney show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't That's know. That's interesting. I saw Wicked in its heyday like when it was the Hamilton of its time Mm -hmm. I saw it when I was like 12 years old and I was like super obsessed with it and I had the t-shirts and everything Um, it was a very special time yeah I saw it for the first time in Chicago at the Orient uh, the Oriental Theater and yeah it was really really good um it was a good time um and yeah, I, th- I think it. I think it holds up. It doesn't surprise it does. me that it's it's lasted this long and has, you know, sustained and uh, uh, sustained an audience. Basically, there's yeah, a de- there's I'm, always a demand for it. Oh yeah, I, I mean, and the wicked fans are like yeah. annoying as fuck. But like, yeah, <laughs> I was just ta- talking to someone about how like the someone was in my dms telling me like how like wicked is like um god tier bush era art and it's so true because like wicked came out during the height of the iraq war mm-hmm. and like now everyone like wants to assign like how like oh it's about now it's like about trump <laughs> and <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm just like okay do well, what you want when it was when it the popular thing to do when I was growing up was read the book that preceded it, which is mm-hmm. a supposedly extremely adult and yes, even more adult. yeah even more <laughs> like uh, intricate and convoluted and detail oriented than the musical is. The musical is sort of just like a surface level, uh, you know, hy- hyphenated version of the actual novel and. I, I've never read the book before because I was like, I don't want to be bothered with that. But um, yeah, to me, it just, it seems like the r- real ones will know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm curious if they're going to like incorporate the book into the movie that they're going to make. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't read anything about the the movie or anything. Um, yeah. It's just, it's very, very strange. I don't know. I, I, uh, my granddad was just telling me 
about how he just saw the Into the Woods movie musical with Anna oh. Kendrick and all them and everything. Oof. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just it's it's not great. And and also it's like another one of those um, press cycles when people come out with new movies and all of the big names are in it and like in Into the Woods, like Meryl Streep was in it and yes. Anna Kendrick and like what what's the name? Chris Pine wasn't Chris Pine in this? He yeah. was, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's a fine movie, but it's it's not great. It's just kind of, you know, this it's like it's, a, it's very stale. It's very minimalist and, uh, you know, kind of just bottom of the barrel effort yeah. to do the show. It's justice. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have any of the darkness that you really wanted it to have. Like it felt like it didn't go there. Although and... although it is dark visually in a way where I yes. feel like I couldn't see people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I was, I was just like this, which is funny because the the Broadway production of Into the Woods, it's very bright. Like the lighting design is very bright and spectacular yeah. and very high contrast and colorful. And I don't know. You just you just got all complete like horrible like darkness color correction. <laughs> yeah, and, it just felt yeah. very gray and like a bluish gray. That yeah, was everything was bluish. Yeah, bluish gray, definitely. Um, but yeah, so, but but you liked this for the most part. You liked this uh, wicked. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's it's like it, the the costuming is just absolutely maximal and yeah i think that's gorgeous my, to look yeah, at that's my favorite part about that show definitely. and also fiero's ass is mm-hmm. just always a delight to look at yeah. when you watch it which is yeah. why like i'm so like i'm so like on edge waiting for them to announce the casting of mm-hmm. the of fiero in the film because mm-hmm. like if he doesn't have a good natural ass like we're going to be at a loss. I know that, culturally. that it, is, it is one of those characters where it's imperative for this character to be very tight and like have a very tight yes. ass and very like, like almost like a small, but twinky muscular, yes. like, like twonkish kind of behavior yeah. and uh, stature, physical stature. Yes. Um, there, there used to be like Tumblr pages that were like dedicated to Fierro's tight pants, and I was obsessed. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just sometimes I think about those days, and I'm like, wow, like we really had it all. Like anything we you did, were, anything you were into, like there was a whole visual interactive platform for that, and not in the way where Instagram and Reddit, like there's a whole visual interactive. Compete. It's just something about Tumblr. Uh, it was just like a t- it was a time to be alive because you just got it all. You got the moving images, you got the gifts, you got the texts. Like you just got everything, and yeah. it was very, very intimate place. That's much more intimate than like anything other like reddit and instagram cannot like replicate the intimacy and um yeah it's just it it was such it was really a huge loss uh because a tumblr never really put an effort to update their user interface or make it better or faster and then it was bought out by yahoo so but every now and then i kind of journey back to see 
what's happening and it's it's uh not it's just not what it used to be <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of a wasteland which but, is sad um it does remind me sort of of twitter in that no matter what you're into you can find the most extreme and polarizing communities yeah. of yeah. every subculture rock um, on <laughs> yeah and i was like stalking twitter the other day and I don't know what it is with Twitter and like my brain and my process of, you know, understanding and like looking at mm-hmm. information, but it just like does not sit. I don't know for some reason, just not does not vibe with me. Does not sit with me well. Um, yeah, I've I, been very uninspired lately. I to tweet. Yeah, I don't know. And sometimes I'll go and I'm like, well, maybe I'll tweet a picture or something or write a poem. But I'm just like. I don't know. Like every time I go on Twitter, it's just like, it just doesn't vibe with me for some reason. I just don't get any enjoyment out of it. Um, I, I just go on there just to kind of see like, what's, what are the hot topics of the day? Like, what are people right. talking and just take my cultural stock, you know? <laughs> I just saw that people were coming for Rachel Ziegler because she, she like didn't speak out against Ansel Elgort and working with him Mm. but and she shouldn't have she no she shouldn't have I I don't understand like and also the people who are on Twitter talking about uh, x y and z it gives you such a small view of what's happening and like uh, maybe several hundreds of thousands of people could be demanding a singular thing out of you but the rest of the world doesn't care or understand or, no. you know, doesn't know at all what's happening. So um, I can I can see how like a new um, a person who's new, a new uh, public facing person could be alienated or, you know, have like some kind of anxiety <laughs> by that. Uh-huh. But I don't know. To me, it's just like uh I'm just like so confused whenever I see like people write on <laughs> like yeah. the, the the some of the things that people write online. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with people? Like it's very terrifying to me. <laughs> but there's some gems that are in there. No, there's some gems, definitely, and that's why I keep going back every once exactly, in a while. Yeah. I'm just like, are there some gems I can find? And sometimes. Uh, Sometimes there are, I have, uh, there's this one, um, influencer I follow. I hope I didn't delete her tweet. Um, there's this one influencer I follow. She is on YouTube and she does like fashion criticism and cultural critique and stuff. Her name's Ryan Finn. Um, R I A N P H I N as a Nancy. Um, she tweeted the other day, uh, so cool when you realize not every experience is you being a hero or a victim. And sometimes you can reframe your experiences as just neutral and not that big of a deal, LOL. Everything can, yeah. everything, everything cannot be I won or I lost. Pay attention to how you tell the story of yourself and others. I just thought that was very astute. Well, yeah, because like most of us are just like really boring anyway. Well, you know? yes. And like, I think every single person has their own niche of what they get excited about or what they feel passionate about. And sometimes when people ask me like, oh, what's your take on X, Y, and Z? And I'm just like, oh, yeah. uh, not my thing. Like, uh, they're like, oh, everybody's 
constantly expecting you to have like a thumbs up or thumbs down opinion on something that's going on in culture. And a lot of times I don't, I don't really care. It's not my specialty. It's not something I'm interested in or something I spend a lot of time reading about, whether it's like something that's going on in the news or something that's happening politically or something that has to do with block. I I really, some, some things I'm just generally out of the loop with because I don't want to spend my energy being like, according to my calculations, I read blah, 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 blah. It's like, (laughs) there's this like sketch in a, there's a really old sketch in Portlandia where it's like Carrie and Fred, like going back and forth saying like, did you read that thing? Did you read that thing? Did you read that tweet? Like they're like constantly trying to, you know, be up to date on the large amount of information that's been, you know, being thwarted at us constantly every second of the day. And it's like, it's impossible. So it's it's hard enough to keep up with what's going on in the theater world. I can't like, I literally (laughs) honestly ask me about that. I barely, you know, got my, I, I barely graduated college. It was just like, I mean, I, it's a miracle <laughs> that I was able to get it, get this far. Like, <laughs> God. yeah. Um, but yeah, so Wicked was good and that's awesome. Did you know how did you, what? I was going to say, how, <laughs> how, how, was, how have you been? I'm good. Uh, just like working doing a lot of meetings and stuff and um doing a lot of interviews um yeah just like super super messy uh, bopping around the country um and living life jet setter jet setter i mean comment uh sound off in the comments if there's like a tech or media job that's not entry level that you want to you think i'd be good at because I've just been not miss. I've have been striking out constantly. Either like I'll interview for a place and it'll be not enough pay, or I'll interview for a place and I want to work there, but I don't. I get rejected. So, um, but you know, I am really like immune to rejection. Like from an actor's point of view, like <laughs> I really don't care. Like I've heard, I've heard the worst, like a a prospective employer literally emailed me the other day and was like, we'll pass. Like we discussed this, like, it's just like, I've heard it all. Like at this point, I'm so immune to rejection. I don't care. I don't take it personally. So, um, of course I, yeah, it, no, it is a Sisyphusian effort. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't care. I keep telling myself that like, oh, I don't care. Like I'm the bad bitch that I, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm going to show them. So somebody, and then of course I say that to myself. And then like the next day I'm like crying and be like, nobody loves me. La, 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 la. You know? <laughs> As Joan Didion said, we tell ourselves stories to survive. So I know. we got to do it. We got to do it. I was thinking about like, being an actor how you have to do like self-tapes and then I was thinking about like how every self-tape is an act of self-mythology or uh, self-mythologizing because when you have to do a self-tape you kind of have a little bit of agency over your self-perception and versus going into uh, the agency so they can record Um, you and you don't get any second takes um that's always something that's like really interesting to me because you, when you do a self tape, it sucks. And like, I hate it, but 
you do have sort of an opportunity to uh, kind of manipulate your own image and how you look to what the assignment is. So um, yeah, it's very interesting. So actors kind of like lucked out in the pandemic because like now they don't have to go in anymore. They can just self-tape. Well, exactly. So, I mean, you can definitely get sucks, but you can, on some level, you can use it to your advantage, I think. Yeah, you just got to know the tools. Yeah, you have to know the tools. You have to know your angles. Um, (laughs) I will never make a self-tape, but... I guess I shouldn't, I I guess I shouldn't say never, but I don't see it in my, my future right now. I mean, yeah. Anytime I've had to do a self-tape, it's been the most painful experience ever for me because I have to get my fiance to help me and move furniture like all, all over the place and make sure I have like a backdrop and make sure I'm wearing jewel tones and stuff like that. It's practically <laughs> a full-time job. I mean, it really, God. It's, it's literally kind of like a four hour effort, um, like project Cause you do the thing then you edit it. And then there's a special thing that agency requires you to upload it to. It's just all around a mess. Yeah. See, um, I'm too, I'm too lazy for that. I yeah. can never do that. No, it's, it's horrible. Um, but which is probably oh, why I'm not an actor. Yeah. No. Well, in the new in the new year, I do have a couple agencies that I do. I'm looking because I've like been through the gamut of all the agencies in Chicago. Like it's either they've been I've been with some and then they've dropped me, or I've submitted to them a billion times and they don't want me, and that's fine. But I'm, you know, every year we tell we tell ourselves these yeah. stories and yes, we start over. Yes, exactly. Well, maybe maybe this is the year. Today is the day. Yeah. <laughs> no, it will be. Every it day will is a be. new day. This podcast um, is gonna launch us into infinity. Oh, you know what I was thinking. Okay, so when I have a question, when you were in high school, did you ever go to the um, little conferences? Like the thespian conferences? Um, No, because my high school, like, we just were not rich enough to go. Also, uh, poor planning, which is probably why I'm so bad at planning now, as I got it from that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I went a couple times as a teen, and then when I was in college, we went to the Southeastern Theater Conference a couple. I went maybe two or three years in a row, and it's just a huge conference where people from the southeastern uh region just come together and you know table schools and then uh summer stock goes there broadway hires out of sctc and stuff like that um but it was i was thinking of that today because my mom and i went to a bridal um expo just for fun um today and i was just thinking about oh my god i remember when i used to go to all these conferences as a kid (laughs) (laughs) and like embarrass myself in front of people and like go to audition and go to cattle calls and stuff like that was like so humiliating yeah and all the workshops that they would do that like you really didn't get much from them like yes well because the workshops were mostly just advertisements for the professors that were holding them or the schools or some kind of uh you know like maybe like a lighting company is doing like some kind of master class or a certain teacher from a a school a performing arts school is going to do this master class so they can try to 
sell their program or whatever. Um, I totally, I get it. I definitely get it. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Um, those days are gone, but I don't know. Maybe I'll swing in and <laughs> swing, I'll swing by maybe in the next couple of years. He'll make an appearance. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so we will. I know. Maybe, maybe we will. Well, that's what I was saying. I was like, ooh, like, what if we had like a table at SCTC? That would be hilarious. Because oh, it's because because mo- it's mostly just like kids running around, like uh begging for like free shit, like candy and pencils and t-shirts and chapstick and stuff. Um, but I was <laughs> I was like thinking to myself, I was like, hmm, that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> God, us and and imparting our wisdom on. I know, I know. It's so funny. Um, we could do it. We could do it definitely. I mean, I love some wisdom. Yes, I love talking to young people, and uh, I love talking to students, uh, and I love uh, getting their takes on things. So yeah, Yeah. it's it's very interesting to me. Uh, then I'm mom. like, oh, what would I have at my table? Would I have like fidget spinners or would I have like <laughs> <laughs> the pencils? And I know yeah, I would definitely, of- we would have notebooks, we had pencils, and then we would have like, I don't know what else. Like, and then you act by Ann Bogart. <laughs> yeah. Basically. So, something something uh fun for the for the youth. Yes, absolutely. They gotta we gotta get them young on uh Anne Bogart. Yes, absolutely. Seriously. She's the best. And maybe a Stanislavski book, maybe. Yeah, maybe one of those. Um but but should we get into Yeah, let's let's get into get into it. it. Um so yeah, we wanted to we watched Josh and I both watched the Elaine Stritch documentary from 2014, I think it was. I think so, because she yes. like died right after it she was did. released. She, yeah, she literally died right after. The documentary is called Don't Shoot. Am no, I it's right? Ca- I, I think it's called it. Shoot. I think it's oh called my- Shoot Me. Okay, so first I was saying like, oh yeah, let's watch that documentary, Don't Shoot Me. And then I was like, wait, it's not called Don't. It's called Don't Shoot, right? <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, like, i think i accidentally uh, called it don't shoot me and then so it just I, stuck with me <laughs> yeah i'm okay. sorry maddie okay no it's called okay it's called shoot me correct yes, elaine stretch <laughs> shoot me okay <laughs> um and it's about her trying to put together a um cabaret of her singing song time and it's called what is it called um uh, uh lane stretch at the liberty that was her first show that she did with george c wolf okay this one was like called like song oh, yes. singing singing song time singing song time again mm-hmm. why not yes, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's always she's always good with them uh witty titles yes absolutely which probably explain i wonder if she named the movie probably well, we can get into that because she obviously was very preoccupied with how she was being perceived. You can kind of tell yes. in the documentary. And it seems to me like she, throughout her whole life, she's she's very control-oriented and, you know, preoccupied with her own self-perception, which kind of has lended a benefit to her performances because she is sort of 
not in a not saying this in a mean-spirited way but she is sort of self-centered in a way yeah I mean that's what I got from her (laughs) well yeah I feel like we need to lay like we just need to accept that like all artists are narcissistic in their own ways or else Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be artists you know well yes I think they're I think some of them are not necessarily narcissists. I think it's a scale. I think there's a level of, of vanity and uh, vain that goes into spending so much of your time dedicated to you performing. So I think in her case, yeah, I think in her case, it is kind of all over the place. She does seem very preoccupied with her own uh, legacy and her own performance um, and less uh, focused on her own reception. She seems mm-hmm. like she doesn't really necessarily care what other people think. She seems like she cares about proving something to herself and what she thinks of her own performance. Cause you could see her in the rehearsals fucking up and uh, messing everything up. And even though everybody else thinks it's great, she's like, no, it was horrible. I hate it. We have to do it again. And you can see in the old footage with Stephen Sondheim when she's recording for company and she's like, oh, clearly, yes. <laughs> and she's like clearly drunk and everything. And she was, she records the song and she's like so fucked up about it and she's like I, I think I need to do another take and everybody's like yeah that's that's go, fine and yeah, to but me, go home for a yeah, bit yeah yeah because and to me that that seems like of someone who's actually more focused on their own vanity rather than their um, narcissistic behavior of uh, being focused on the other person rather than themselves Um, and I think you could really see that with her musical director. (laughs) Yes. They have a really great relationship together. I like them together. Yes. Um, um, but what's his name? Rob, Rob Bowman. Yeah. Rob. I I don't know his last name, but Rob. Yeah. But he, like they, there, there was that moment, that great moment where she was like, um, we have to like, um, when she's like in the bathroom and like unpacking her bagels or whatever. (laughs) And she's like, Oh, you have to get it this way. You have to get it this way. And like Mm -hmm. just that attention to detail and how she was being perceived and like, Mm -hmm. and she was like, I want everybody to see what I'm doing and I want everybody to, to get the full picture. It was just like, it was, it was was so she, she like, she just comes from that like period of like, a grand dame of the theater yeah um and as sherry jones like put it so eloquently in the film like she is the conduit of the golden age of theater mm-hmm. in this country like she like is the connection for us the contemporary mm-hmm. to that time period um and so like yeah it, like that's what's coming through i guess in that in that in those moments and it's mm-hmm. beautiful to watch Yes. And she, I think her body brash charisma is really what has made her career essentially, because she is kind of unruly and she's like swearing and cursing and, you know, being unladylike. And, um, but she, she and um, a lot of her contemporaries at the time always did this very delicate dance of, balancing uh 
you know, this version of femininity that was very focused on being a woman, but also having these moments of breaking the seal of that persona and, uh, you know, basically (laughs) proliferating that sort of set of rules and decorum that being a woman in this time meant. And that made it really funny. And I think her attitude and her, you know, bravado and vibe overall has just made her extremely entertaining. And I think there's a level of uh, wit that she has and a lot of her contemporaries had that people, that young women, women don't have anymore. I feel like the last, I mean, when you think about female comedians of the last 10 years, it's, you think about these like formulas of women that just copy and paste the same buzzwords onto their personalities. Like Amy Schumer. Yeah. And I know no shade to like any of these girls, but this is, this was just kind of the branding that was popular of the last 10 years of not really registering in any of your content as being very ladylike or aspirational as a young woman necessarily, um, but registering in terms of the jokes you were telling as being uh, very agender, having nothing to do with sort of everyday interpersonality. And I think, I mean, when you think about people like Elaine Stritch and Carol Channing, a lot of their jokes were predominantly anecdotal and not necessarily as topical as comedy of the last 10 years has been. Yeah. If it, it, it just like, it had like that, like universality to yeah. it. It had like, it was less um, niche. Yes. It was like, uh, it was, it felt like broad working class kind of of, of of an energy that I really, I really enjoyed. It was, it's interesting because she like, is a convent girl. Like she grew up in the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and she remained a virgin for like a very, very long time. (laughs) And it's, it's, and, and how Prince says it so beautifully too, like that convent girl never left her. Oh yeah. Basically because she, you can tell she's like really obsessed with controlling the narrative and controlling the 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 scene and being uh the life of the party wherever she goes she sort of her first impulse is to kind of disagree with you and be sort of contrarian and um, tackle on any kind of conflict and you can kind of tell that you know see that from her how it traces back to her childhood because she did grow up in a very wealthy catholic family And I feel like the documentary didn't really go into any of those mysteries about her. No, Um, no. I I think it's because she was too involved, you know? Yeah, I think she was very involved. And that's what I I felt like so many of her pathologies were sort of just lightly brushed up against. Like she just barely touched on her alcoholism in a very, the way she talked about her alcoholism was just like this very convenient way where she had issues with alcohol and then she stopped drinking for like 30 years. And now that she's old, she has gone back to drinking, has won whatever. Um, And (laughs) we don't really know why or what the, 
you know, why did that happen? Or, you know, we're just kind of out of the loop with a lot of information that could have told us where, where does the her behavior really come from? We don't, I don't really know anything about her parenting or anything or she had, I think she had two older sisters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who had died that Mm -hmm. we learned in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but she's she has like one drink before she goes on every night to like kill the nerves Mm -hmm. she gets so nervous which like that's like what I like find so refreshing about Mm -hmm. her is that she is so like um open about her how nervous she is Mm -hmm. because like when I like because I watched this documentary like back in high school because I had an Elaine Stritch obsession back in high school and I remember just like being like oh my god like she gets it. She understands like, it is so fucking hard to like get up Mm -hmm. on a stage and like put yourself out there. And like, you know, that you want to like deliver, you Mm -hmm. want, you want to give the audience something bigger and, and it's, it's daunting. And, and Elaine has like such a relationship with her audience Mm -hmm. that like, and it's noted in the film, like it's a love relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and she has them in the palm of her hand, like, and, and they trust her and she trusts them. And mm-hmm. like, it's just, it's so exhilarating to watch. And like, uh, I don't know, I felt, I find it comforting because like <laughs> when I would like forget when I would like sing in high school and I forget the words, like it was, oh, it always felt like the end of the world, mm-hmm. but like, oh, yeah. but like, that is what shows like, like ideally, like we would like it to not happen that you would mm-hmm. forget the words when you sing, but you're a human being. And like, mm-hmm. that's what like makes live performance so exciting and interesting to watch is like, it could go wrong at any moment, you know? Oh, and like, yeah. and, it, and it, that in that it shows hum- like humanity. Oh yeah. I, I thought it was very interesting that she had, she disclosed that she had stage fright. I feel like just from watching the documentary, I can tell that she's actually extremely vulnerable as a performer. Usually, I mean, she has this reputation for being such a confident and uh, like body and brash, uh, funny, confident woman. But I feel like in these like cases such as hers, the most confident people are often the most insecure and vulnerable. And it makes sense to me that she is sort of this person who uh, is really detail oriented and very obsessed with being a perfect performer so much that she actually gets stage fright because once you step onto the stage, you don't really have any control over what is going to happen. Like whatever happens, yes. however the audience perceives you, it's just going to happen. So um, it you totally- You give yourself over to God. Yeah, you basically <laughs> give, a, give it to God and um, see, find out what happens. Oh, for the best, yeah. yeah cross your fingers <laughs> and uh, yeah, hold your nose and jump into the um, pool. But basically, yeah, she- you can kind of tell that she has that sort of pathology when it comes to control because she gets really pissed off when she is performing and forgets the words. She gets nervous about going on stage. Um, she gets very defensive and obviously like a lot of it is a joke. I was really interested in her relationship with her musical direct- director, Rob Bowman, I believe, 
whom she had a professional relationship with for 14 years. And not only were they in a professional relationship, but she, he also acted as sort of his, her caretaker. Yeah. And she is like freaking out about her medicine and her health and going to the hospital. because She's old as shit. <laughs> and, um, it was, it's interesting to me because she never had any children and it seemed to me like she adopted him in this very mother like way. They had a very mother and son like relationship. Um, and she it was did. weird to me because it, no, it, it was like very sweet, but it's interesting because she basically her, her performance of her persona doesn't stop. She never really exposes or lets down her guard as being very tender. She never really uh, extends or expresses any grace towards Rob. Like you never, you never see her. And like, think about how amazing he is during those scenes where he's like playing the piano with her and they have- And trying to remind her of the words. Remind her and they have this amazing dynamic on stage and she kind of never expresses in the documentary that she has this amazing partnership with this musical director who's essentially she sees as a son um that there I was the was part good. there was the part where she he, she said that he gave up drinking for her which i was like whoa like that's so because like exactly that's what i was I, like i was like he's traveled the world with this girl or traveled the country or whatever and worked hours and year with years with elaine and Uh, we don't really see in the documentary once sort of her expressing kind of any affection towards him. Obviously on stage, uh, she kind of makes this joke about how, um, oh, like Rob, like if you get the chords wrong, I'm going to fire you, blah, blah, blah. It's like kind of a jokey thing, but it seems like that's uh, sensibility overlaps into their personal relationship because she kind of orders him around she's very needy with him and you don't you don't really see her there's not a lot of part of her personality that's very um, soft feeling she has this very hard exterior and I think a lot of her a lot of the the those qualities uh, uh, that her personality has are very relatable to me I feel and even though I don't know I there are a lot of parts about her I her personal or personal persona I feel a non-public persona that registered with me as like very off-putting but it was very eye-opening and it did give us sort of a look behind the curtain and (laughs) kind of see what she was struggling with and something that really touched me that she said in the documentary was that how she felt like comedy she says comedy is easy dying is hard and she, no she says dying wait, is easy comedy is hard. once again maddie like, <laughs> don't shoot me shoot like i i also we i won't too, shoot you maddie i i won't too shoot you. i too have dementia <laughs> wait what the fuck did she say she says she says uh, dying is easy comedy is hard dying is easy comedy is hard okay okay so i thought anyways i thought that was very um we got you profound (laughs) yeah and and anyway 
she she goes on to talk about how um, she um, is anxious about the day where she has to stop performing. You know, when she's talking about when will the performance end? And then I have to like sit with myself, you know? Yeah, because she has like diabetes. And Mm -hmm. even in the film, like we start to see like her losing her speech when she's like having a diabetic spell, Mm -hmm. which is like totally terrifying. If you like make your living off of like talking and like being a persona, like God, that would like make me terrified. And she's like, I'm not Mm -hmm. actually that scared of it. You know, Mm -hmm. she's, she kind of has like this grace, this divine grace about her of like, it's happening. Like I have to, I have to give into nature at some point. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's just like, it's, she's such a a role model, I guess, in that regard of like how to age gracefully and, and still be funny about it. You know, a lot of people like give in to it and then they like lose all of, they just become even harder in, Mm -hmm. in their, in their lives. And yet she's still able to crack jokes, which is refreshing. She's still able to crack jokes and it seems like she's still able to have those moments of vulnerability, even when she doesn't want to. Um, And you can tell that she gets like really pissed off about it. And I mean, that's why I was interested in like why women of her age, like all of these like old golden age broads, like get so old and they feel like they must perform doing it it. like if I was 85 or whatever I would just like hang up my hat and like spend like curl up next to my fireplace with all my cats and dogs for the rest of my life but um, it's interesting to me that some people feel the impulse to keep going until they're on death's door and why they feel the need and actually I kind of relate to that because a lot of and it seems like in Elaine's case a lot of her self-worth has come from the relationship with her public and her audience and a lot of her self-worth has come from her you know prestige her prestige and her you know celebrity so it totally makes sense to me why she would just keep going (laughs) well I just looked up what her sign was she's an Aquarius interesting yeah I guess just intuitive, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But she like she is also like known for like being like a style icon. Like she has great. Oh legs. yeah, she does. Oh, amazing legs! I was like, her legs <laughs> are so long. Like I would die to have legs like hers. What the hell? She doesn't wear pants, which is like, yeah. and the fur coats with the no pants. Like that's exactly how I want to look when um, I'm old. That's uh, so that opening scene where she, when she is like uh, walking around New York and she's got the big fur coat on and people are coming up to her. Um, yes. I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how people uh, interact with me on the street when I'm like walking around the neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, a, in my big fur coat. Um, but yeah, I thought that part was like really sweet and like a lot of the movie. It, it was like about her packing up her New York apartment, right? She was going to move. Yes. Out. Yeah. She's mo- she made she was moving back from uh, to Michigan, back to where she came from. Yeah. <laughs> they there's a joke that her nephew said, like 
uh, well, you can't say that you didn't give it a shot. Right. <laughs> Meaning exactly. New York. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she I was loved there the... for like 30 years at the Carlisle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. To have a, to live at the Carlisle, to just like have that as your home. Like, yeah, that is the dream. Honestly, I would it's love. Very glamorous. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And to perform at the car, like in the, in the showroom at the Carlisle, like yeah. it just, uh, I just, I, I love her. Yeah. And I, speaking of that opening scene, I loved it when she ran into the little night music actress that she had worked with. Yes. And the, and the actress was like, I just got done playing a 60s lesbian vampire. Oh my God. <laughs> and Elaine then goes, This business sucks. <laughs> God, she like, she's just like the queen of like one-liners. Like she she's the queen like, of one-liners. And she she knows. I love it when she was, is just like this business sucks because it like it does suck. It's like a horrible business to me. Yes. In. Yes, but you got to hit the pavement. I just keep crawling back. Okay. Exactly. If you call me a dog, I'll bark. Because <laughs> it's magical. I know. It's so magical. Yeah, this I mean, business. especially when, like, I cannot imagine seeing, like, uh, Elaine Stritch's, her show like that. Like, it just seemed, I was reading all of the old reviews from when it first uh, premiered and, it just got glowing reviews. It like won the Tony or whatever. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like really sweet and sentimental culturally. And um, it's just kind of a nod to all of the uh, golden age, um, you know, best, be- greatest hits, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> she, she is kind of like a like greatest hits kind of girl, you know? Yeah, towards the end. She, yeah. Because, like, she she's preparing to do a Sondheim review. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting how, like, she's so affected by Sondheim because she says, like, Sondheim was the person who actually gave her, like, really good material to work with, finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that recording of Company. She's like, I finally have great material to work with. And it was so funny when Sondheim was like, uh, Elaine, I won't be there. So feel free to make up whatever lyrics you want. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Because, because Sondheim lyrics are fucking hard. Like they're hard to remember. And like, she says, like, it's hard enough to remember Sondheim's lyrics when you don't have diabetes. Like, yeah. cause he has oh a my... lot of, he has a lot of tongue twisters. Like, yes. A lot of yeah. his lyrics are a little bit of a mouthful. Yeah. And they're heady, like they're just, and you have to act. Yeah. Like, I mean, you should always be acting when you sing, but like Sondheim like writes for actors. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's what, like you, when you have a Sondheim song, like you should act it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I feel like looking at all of the, watching all of those old, uh, all the old footage of her, she has like an interesting and unusual look to her that's really unique and she kind of looks like a boy a little she bit, has like, this very boyish. she has a very boyish like built and uh sense about her and yeah she's like you kind of when you see her you don't really know where to place her you can't really put her in a box you can't really assign her any sort of archetype. She just is sort of her own archetype in herself and like always was. And anybody who was a contemporary of hers or a colleague of hers, they were essentially just like the straight man in the 
situation and she's like very enigmatic and uh, uh funny and very humorous and bombastic and charismatic like she really uh gave the char- her charisma over and i feel like her just overall charisma lended her such a long career um I wonder if that's why gay men love her so much is that she because she has such boyish figure like uh features boyish I think I it's a combination of her androgyny and her charisma and how bombastic and she is um I think that is probably what it is she's just kind of like this busty broad who like doesn't take any shit from anybody and people really like that and uh yeah she kind of is a leading lady in any of the scenes like she tackles but it was so it was so interesting because yes she does have this larger than life persona but also like that moment that she has with tracy morgan when they're working on 30 rock oh that is funny (laughs) and they're showing each other talking about each other's like blood sugar levels yeah Yeah, they're like comparing and contrasting their blood sugar levels yes like that's what like that and like seeing alec baldwin and her on this like eating to like eating together yes with the crew that was like that just like gave like made me like miss like oh like we're we're just actors like we're just yeah we're just doing a job and we're on our lunch break you know like I was just like oh I love that part I know I I was like I I love those little scenes of them just like seeing people just eat lunch when they have the spare moment too and they're just um like joking and like just being regular people and yeah, I like that. Uh, I really enjoyed those scenes with Alec Baldwin and Elaine. They had just have this very sweet, uh, you know, rapport with each other. Um, and it just seems like she's very used to being a leader. And I mm-hmm. really like that. And it's very interesting that she was only married once for 10 yes. years. And then she found she, her true love. She found her true love, never got remarried again. And it's very interesting to me because I feel like since she is such a leader and she, uh, you know, charges in on every interpersonal interaction she has, that maybe she can't really stand being second fiddle to anyone else at any time. Like she absolutely must be the star of her of the movie about her life you know um but also I think it is really romantic that she never got married again because it just seemed like but also she said didn't she say that they got married too quickly yeah they like met doing a Tennessee Williams play yeah it was such a random thing like they just randomly got married too quickly then they were married for 10 years and then they never Got, and then she never got married again yeah because he died from like brain cancer or something yeah like that. yeah very very strange and something she doesn't go into or yeah we were kind of in the dark about why she's so alone at the end you know it's something yeah, very I mean, spooky about like how she ended her life because even though she had like a huge audience of people that were fawning over her and she was always this huge star throughout her whole life. She had a large uh, legacy of her career, but she didn't have any children and she never had a, a husband. Yeah. Her, it was like her nephew, her nieces and nephews like, yeah. kind of, like stepped in to, to take care of her. Yeah. Which I mean, 
that 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 seems nice too yeah Yeah. but I don't know if I would trust it you know yeah and I just wonder how much it weighed on her having constant having this career of you know being a performer back to back to back and oh yeah and that's why I was like really intrigued with how she was talking about she how she was talking about how she's wondering what she's going to do when the performance like ends you know when the performance stops and you have to like take off your makeup take off your clothes and then just like sit with yourself how you are and you can't perform anymore because you're too old and you have to understand that you're you have to be confronted with your own mortality um yeah because she talks about the stage being like a fantasy you know or an illusion and like that's Mm -hmm. why it's so great is like you can escape and that's why she's not so I guess nervous about that you Mm -hmm. know but she is she is nervous about drinking again she does say Mm -hmm. of like going hard yeah it's a control thing like when you drink you kind of release control sometimes or when you're on stage sometimes you release control when you're doing a documentary about yourself sometimes you release control and then she's like yelling at the cameraman (laughs) and I think uh coming to a point in your career where you can no longer do what you've dedicated your whole life to do that's scary and that is a part of releasing control over to the aging process and you know being confronted with dying um yeah but I mean that's what what makes her so good because she's like born to do this one thing for her whole life (laughs) yes and the fact that she was able to like pursue it you know some people have that talent but like they can't actually pursue it because of external or internal circumstances that just like don't pan out like the stars have to align the stars saying. have to align and the stars need to align uh, sort of biologically. I think that's why people always talk about, you know, having the it factor or being the it girl. A lot yeah. of people we consider it girls or being just having some kind of je ne sais quoi. Uh, it's true. You can't really put your finger on it. You can't define it cannot be defined. You can't just say, oh, well, they're just really talented. There are some people in this industry where like you cannot even put into words how much their charisma and their talent just like blow you out of the water. It's like, you know, falling in love at first sight. Like you just see someone perform and you're just astonished and amazed and you're like who is this person like what the hell's happening yeah it's Um, like it's like madonna like madonna doesn't have the greatest voice and madonna acknowledges this yeah but like she has this like energy about her where she just like goes and does whatever she wants to do and like it's just like uh so it just like takes you aback like you don't know what to do with it and like it stops you in your tracks you know Yes. And I feel like a lot of that also can be accredited to the feminine mystique. And I think Mm -hmm. men can also do this as well. A lot of people think to, you know, be an enigma among people, like you have to put it all out there and you have to basically open up your world to the whole, (laughs) to every single person. But that's just not the, so clearly not the case. Like the the best thing about Madonna, and I think also Elaine Stritch as well, 
that is that they carried this sort of air of mystique about them where they were able to be very feminine but also inhabit like these very um, broody body ma masculine features uh, at certain points that really threw you off and kept you guessing because you were like, oh my God, like when are they going to perform? What are they going to say? Um, so I think it is that sort of balancing uh, reticence with like repulsiveness, you know, like it's a very yes. steady balance. <laughs> Well, and also, I mean, what the thing that they both have in common is like the Catholicism, like they were both yes. raised in mm -hmm. Catholicism. And so like they had something like something to almost rebel against mm -hmm. in a sense, although uh, it seemed like Elaine Stritch was very like devout to it to an extent, mm -hmm. like when she would before she would go on, like she would like stand by herself and pray to herself. And <laughs> it was yeah, it was just it was so great um, to watch. I also really liked the part where she talked about JFK. Yes, that was she really almost, interesting. Yeah, like she almost like, like she like saw JFK in a bar and was like, oh, like he's he's too cute to be left behind. Yeah. <laughs> and then they he joined their entourage. Right. And and then um he or she like invited him up for a nightcap. Yes. And he was like, if it means like such and such and scrambled eggs then I don't want to come up and Elaine Stritch was like well that's what it does mean <laughs> and then and then they didn't have um they didn't she didn't lose her virginity to JFK I know it's such a good story and it really is I think it's such a anecdote about her ability to sort of get by and have a, such an effect on people simply just by being charismatic and being a person who's just personality plus um it's very inspiring and i think that's really what's made her so um, successful in her career she's able to just have a strong effect on people um through her charisma and i think a lot of you know going through or just being successful in any career i think there's a level and of learning and understanding about a charm, like being charming that people yeah. don't talk about anymore because it's kind of seen as like, oh, because it doesn't mean you're talented or anything. But I mean, whatever, as it applies to like entertainment, I think you there's uh, it's worth uh, looking into, you know, being learning and learning how to be charming and witty. Uh, that's something that uh, I think people don't really consider nowadays. They think that you have to just walk in a room and people are immediately going to love you for being pretty or smart or saying all the right things, but it's, it goes a lot deeper into it. It's a lot deeper than that. And I think it has to do with this balance of being smart, but also being witty, which is a badge of intelligence. Exactly. You can't just, you can't, it's not enough to be intelligent. You have to be witty which is a badge of intelligence and a yeah, signal you, of your uh, intellectual acumen. You can't just yeah, like, yeah. You got to be able to notice something and yeah. then be able to and, to, and to connect it to something universal. Right. I think. You can't just um, parrot what every other intellectual is saying. You can't just read something, memorize it, and then just squawk it back at somebody to impress uh, you know, prospective employers or like friends or anything, you have to entertain people. You have to be uh, a, like the host of the room. You have to command attention by being funny and including everybody in it's on a the good joke. party trick. Yeah. I'm saying like, I mean, this <sighs> is a whole, like, 
this is a huge part of like being a hostess and being uh <laughs> I guess being a woman in general if you want to invite someone into your home but I, I mean it, it does apply to entertaining people in like an audition meeting uh prospective employers meeting new people I think this is something that a lot of women like Elaine do really well they're able to just mystify people through sheer wits and uh, their ability to be funny and not uh, alien, but not in an alienating way, in a way that's very inclusive. Because I think that is a lot what wit comes down to. I know, because like when she was like talking to Stella Adler's daughter, I believe mm-hmm. she was like, "Your hair looks good for a change." <laughs> and it's like it's like she's like complimenting her, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like dogging on her for not having good hair mm-hmm. um and it's like it's funny and delightful and like yeah. how can and the way she says it like you can't get mad at her for mm-hmm. saying that like yeah i mean and that's the other thing is like uh elaine search is like classically trained mm-hmm. with yeah. stella adler like and she got her own room named yeah. after her in the at the stella adler school yeah well this is something that's interesting about the golden age era of like theater musical theater and entertainment like this was an era that was uh that took place during the 40s and the 50s where the uh, demand matched the supply so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of public demand for uh, musicals musical theater because it was such a new form and there were a lot of boundaries being pushed, a lot of different kind of subject matter and, you know, new uh, references, new kind of uh, experimental forms being done in theater uh, that people were really hungry for. And the supply was able to really match that demand. And I think a lot of very talented people came out of that because people were hungry for that, you know, Um, the public was able to fall in love with these, uh, you know, characters. Yeah. And, and now like we live in a time where we're over. Yeah. We're like overexposed overexposed because like this, I mean, a lot of these times, I mean, especially in the forties that, you know, was swallowed up by World, World War II, II. and yeah. a lot of new uh, literature was and writing was really meeting the demand of the public for a time that was beyond the present, that was about the future and the aspiration for a better tomorrow. And a lot of what came out of that culture sort of met that demand um, because the public was so ready and eager to develop a relationship with a public facing person. But I think now <clears throat> I'm just like, I'm fucking fed up with like, people are done with like public facing people, like, cause yes. they're, they're so con they're constantly being shoved down our throats. And this is like sort of now a time where the demand or the supply is over, <laughs> overstaging, uh, upstaging the demand, like, People, I think the general like media, you know, multimedia industrial uh, complex does not really understand what people's uh, demands really are because they're so easily able to manufacture demands and manufacture desire. 
yeah, to the point now, where like, I'm like, do people really want what they say they want? I don't know. <laughs> I know. Cause like, right. Like now we're getting like nostalgia, just like the same thing is being <laughs> like that Harry Potter reunion just happened. Like we're getting that thrown and, mm-hmm. and the new sex in the city that like is very like second rate, but I'm still watching it. Cause like it's comforting at this point. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I just like, it's, it's like, do people actually really want like to see this if it's not even going to be like that good? Yeah. You know? And I, I don't mind nostalgia baiting thing aesthetically. Um, but why is the narrative, the sentiments over and over sort of this same kind of feeling of, you know, being forced being forced something that you've seen over and over again like I don't mind if something is aesthetically nostalgia baiting that's fine but why what's what's the story what's the morals what's the what's the points what are what are we looking and aspiring towards now yeah what are we adding to you know or building off of yeah yeah and it makes you almost wonder like are can we step into a new golden era of entertainment and theater and arts and culture and I think that we are just right now on the at like the dawn of a new era of entertainment because I mean you can see people quitting their jobs people are over it people uh you know have just basically checked out I think in I mean maybe not everyone but I mean for the most part people have come to this agreement that, I mean, this is all a sham (laughs) and um, there needs to be something that signals some kind of optimism for a more positive and less alienating and polarizing future. And I think that's something that the golden age was able to do very well in a way that was optimistic, but also was able to push boundaries. Um, And like, yeah, you think about all of these like amazing like classic musicals that came out of the golden age that um were about just classic themes of like good versus evil and like well yeah i um, just got done reading about eugene o'neill and martha graham yes and how like they are both like they both tried to like bring like classical uh greece and rome to america in their writing Mm -hmm. and I just like I'm I'm curious if like that is something that we need right now is like something that to something that we can aspire to something that we can all aspire to not just like a certain sect of the people and I also <laughs> was reading in this book called uh Shakespeare shamans and showbiz mm-hmm. um about how like theater in the 1800s in America was was considered more populist than it is now mm-hmm. that like interesting yeah that like the that they were called um opera ha- like opera houses were mm-hmm. more prestigious mm-hmm. but calling something a theater was more lower class so I do think and like that like that vaudeville comes from like uh, the theater in America. Mm-hmm. And I, so I do think that there is a populist energy that is, uh, intrinsic in American theater, but it's somehow gotten lost. It's somehow just like kind of blurred and smudged as the years yes. has gone, as the years have gone by. Cause yeah, I don't know. It's, 
you know, my uh, my granddad told me a really good story about the day that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And uh, uh, what's it's the it's Johnny Carson. Am I am I saying this? Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, on the Johnny Carson show that very day, the Supremes were on and they sang There's a Place for Us from West Side Story. And oh. it was like so beautiful. And that was like such a last minute thing. Um, but yeah, such a beautiful song, uh, literally. But I think there is sort of this universal uh, message uh, of like Western theater that's very accessible to American people and Western culture in, in general, because it's just very deep rooted and things we already understand. But a lot of those sentiments have sort of gotten like smudged and reappropriated in by different upper ways class people, yeah. by like yeah. upper class people by uh, yeah, the, like um, the elites, uh, <laughs> I guess, class yeah. of uh, uh, maybe ac- academia or like some certain cultural institutions that, want to uh, disincentivize people from questioning and coming back to what is actually virtuous in everyday waking life um, and want to just, I guess, align themselves with something that is completely temporary, you know? Um, So yeah, I don't know. And I think there's only one way to know, like a lot of plays that have come out in the last five years. I'm just like, I wonder how this will age. You know, I wonder if this will hold up, you know, um, there's only, yeah. you can only, uh, Time find out. Yeah. And like retrospect. So, but yeah, but I, but now I'm just like, Oh damn, like I really want to see company now. And I, know. I really enjoyed watching Elaine Stritch sing those songs. <laughs> I know she's so, she's just so good. Did you watch two's company? I, I have not. Oh, that show is, uh, I mean, along with my uh, obsession with Elaine Stritch, it, it was invo- entangled with my obsession with Two's yeah. Company. She plays like a mystery writer and she has this butler <laughs> and like the whole show is like uh, the like the the farce that they get into with each other. Uh, the one that I sent you was the the one where the butler like breaks his leg and she has to take him to the (laughs) she has to take him to the um the the national health care system over there yes and she gets so irritated because like she's an american she's so used to like like not having to wait in lines for things like that yes (laughs) and then she like takes him she gets so fed up that she like then takes him to a private suite and then realizes how fucking expensive that is and then Mm. she's like we will we will gladly wait here it's just like it's so So good it is so good and people people should go it's on youtube people should Mm -hmm. go out and watch it because it's Mm -hmm. it's just like a gem and i think i don't think it lasted very long on british television but it's it's so good yeah you really get to see it's almost kind of like emily in paris a little bit but (laughs) <laughs> but in England. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't believe she did company for 10 years and then she did it longer on the West End. Oh, really? But didn't she wait? How long did she do company for? Wait, she did company for 10 years and I have no, I didn't know that company ran that long. She did some, I mean, it was either company or she did something for like a long time. 
I, I mean, I don't know. But um, she's way, very she, famous she did, for that role. She's very famous for like, do, I mean, like just like her whole career is like doing the same, same kind of uh, gig. I'm just performing her whole life. I mean, I can't, it would probably fuck me up, I think. But, but, I but maybe when... I'm not, but maybe like performing your whole life actually isn't too far from like the present because we're always kind of performing. You know? Exactly. So that's we, why we're we all ne- going to end up like Elaine Stritch and like, like <laughs> screaming about like our diabetes medication. Yeah. And making sure that our cameras are at the right angles. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I loved it when she was at the dinner with John Terry. What's his last name? The guy know. that was in, he's like, a, he was in Transformers. I don't, I couldn't tell you. I forget. John something. John something. And she's, she's talking about being in Virginia Wolf, who's a friend mm, of Virginia yes, Wolf. Yes. And she said, the first time I ever got an orgasm on stage was when he said, when George said, our son is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, I, I really liked that scene because then, then it made me think about that. Uh, that scene in Virgin and who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, And I was like, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, like, a, that's like a moment. Exciting scene. It's yeah. exciting <laughs> moments. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine having an orgasm on stage though? I don't, I don't know if she's being like, she probably serious. is. Yeah. But it's like, like being sort of hyperbolic, but I, I understand. <laughs> I totally, I get it. Yeah. I mean, she's she's got them one-liners. I know. It has, like, a lot of good ones. But, I mean, because she's witty and she's really smart and she's good at what she does. Yeah, and she cares. Yeah, you can like, tell, like, she really cares. Like, I've had so many friends that have, like, had dramaturgy, uh, you know, jobs or, like, training mm-hmm. jobs. And they, like, come across so many actors that are, like, just eating a sandwich five minutes before they go on. But I mean, you can tell that like she genuinely cares about what happens, <laughs> you know, after yeah. after everything, uh, the, the lights go down and everyone's like talking about it because she really wants everything to that comes out of her, that everything that's a byproduct of her to be top notch. Like she just doesn't want to settle for anything less than perfect. And that, that is exactly back. how I organize my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to. I'm gonna say that that is not how my yeah. life goes. At it just all. it just depends what. Yeah, I mean, I I like to keep the expectations low, so then when the moment does arise, then you're like totally blown away. Yeah, I mean, it just depends what kind of drugs I've taken that day. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, same. I, have I done my routine? Have I taken my supplements? Have I, you know, all of all of my supplements, all of like my routine, my meds, my coffee, my stimulants, my exactly. my contacts in, like the stars need to align. <laughs> and that's Whatever. how I always, uh, that's what I always felt about singing because you can sing so many times the same song over and over again, but there are certain days when the song sounds better than others oh my and, God, in yes. ways that you cannot replicate. And you're like, how did I, how did my body and like, I think like dancing and like, even now that I'm doing like this program with at, at my gym right now, I'm sometimes you're really amazed at what your body can do 
And then you're like, oh, God damn it. Like, how do I replicate that? Is like, did I just have like a weird day of getting a lot of sleep or did I take something? What what happened here? Like, <laughs> well, and, and that's what's so annoying about the ephemeral nature of theater is that it's always fleeting and that like yeah. every performance is different, which fucking sucks. Like you, you might to get a bad one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I but, I saw I've, I mean, I've seen many shows where like things have not gone according to plan. But yeah. I think it's just it's just as rewarding when it's bad because exactly. then you're like, it's... ooh la la la, like I saw some, or like when people break character, like that's yes, fun. yeah, exactly. It's like, and then you have a story to tell at a dinner party, yeah, so that you and you seem more interesting. That that is why I actually okay. So tell tell me this. This is my this is my question. I prefer a <laughs> show and a dinner as for a date because then you can talk about the show at the dinner like oh yeah always people always do show and a uh, dinner and dinner a show. and a show no yeah. no no because like what do you talk about during the dinner before the show like if you see a show before the dinner, you'll have so much to talk about like at the dinner yeah unless you go on the date that i went on recently where the guy like has absolutely nothing to say that is painful <laughs> that is so painful and then i'm just sitting there trying to like keep it up keep everything going <sighs> and then I get I get just like nothing nothing in return like did you did you like ask as many because usually in those situations I'm like I try to ask as many open-ended questions as possible I know but I it's did. like and then wait was he just like did like like one one word one a- one, one word answers yeah no. <laughs> just like didn't really want to like take something else no like, I- <sighs> People, people don't know the art of conversation. No, it, and it's hard. It is really hard too. Cause like, we're so obsessed with ourselves. I mean, when my mom was uh, working as a journalist and a columnist, the basically the go-to is just focus uh, on asking questions about the other person as much as possible. And it's kind exactly. of hard. It's kind of hard to do when you're in the zone and you're talking to people, but the best advice for like meeting a new person talking like first impressions is just to ask as many open-ended questions as possible obfuscate from yourself don't don't think about yourself don't talk about yourself just ask questions about the other person exactly yeah. and then hopefully they'll they'll catch on and ask yeah. a question for you yeah but it always sucks as whenever i try to put this into a practice i ask the wrong questions that always end up being one word answers and then i'm oh, just like yeah. How do I, how do I but see like, it? that's, that's where the acting training comes that's in. That's true. That's true. You got to learn, you got to learn tactics. You got to, what, I have what to improvise. Your... Yeah. What's your objective? My objective what's is to tactics? get laid. Exactly. And yeah. then how are you going to do it? How are you going to get there? See, we are providing a service to the people. I know. I'm just like, I feel like there's so many young people that are just like so down and out and they're like, how can I find a life partner and it's yeah. like just, you just don't, gotta look at it as a game just look at it as a game don't think about yourself it doesn't have anything to do with you it has to do with the other person and when you make the other person feel important that makes them feel really sexy and yes. hot and horny and it'll make it'll give you uh give uh, an illusion that you are actually making them feel good and men do like to be interviewed they do so they that, do. That, that's that's why yeah yeah so it, 
and it's it's hard it's hard for um it's hard for women because women also equally love to be interviewed but i feel like when you interview a man they're like not used to it so they're like well actually yeah blah 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 yeah i don't know ladies stop thinking about yourself just ask just don't expect anything of the man that make sure you just ask questions about them make them feel good like everyone just every just you know be be nice be very tender okay people are very sensitive nowadays (laughs) in this climate okay unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately they're very sensitive um i'm very soft um um, and Uh, and scene